If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Calls Cloud Business Phone Service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, that is right. You are listening to the Hub of Conservative Not Better Talk, and I am your host, Todd Huff. Email, as always, Todd at ToddHuffShow.com, Facebook.com slash ToddHuffShow. As soon as I figure out what the heck's going on here, we can watch the program live or on demand. It is just not uh, one of our cameras, our main camera is not connecting here to the software, so... I will look at this during uh, during the first break and see if we can get this baby up and running by then. But I want to start off today by telling you we've got an interview today, an interview with uh, someone that um, is at Heritage, the Heritage Foundation, Zach Smith. Zach Smith, he is a legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, spoke with Zach yesterday after this program. And the reason I brought Zach on was to talk about Michael Flynn. I've, look, there's a lot of things, a lot of, I don't know, confusion, misconception, incomplete information as it pertains to Michael Flynn. I think that we know that something is going on uh, with Michael Flynn, right? I mean, there's there's some definite red flags. There's some definite issues and concerns, and um, we can we can identify some of those. But I think sometimes it's hard to specifically put your finger on everything that's wrong because a, let's see, there's multiple reasons here. Number one, we're dealing with. Um, a very secretive, manipulative government. In fact, I, I told Zach this. I said, I just want you to kind of lay out what happened, you know, what's what's going on. I mean, a lot of this we know. Some of it maybe we haven't heard articulated. Some of it is, um, I think, maybe, well, just because of the legal side of things, you know, and we're not the vast majority of us lawyers, listening to this program or trying to figure out the specifics about everything that's happened with Michael Flynn here and just how egregious it is. Some of these things, again, we, we know and realize, but we've got a secretive, manipula- uh, manipulative, out-of-control government. We've got a media who is, I don't even know the, the word for the media. You talk about dishonest, 
deceptive. I call them professional deceivers. I stand by that description of of the media. They are professional deceivers. And so we have to weed, excuse me, wade through all the inf- misinformation, the half-truths, the biased reporting. That's that's the look, biased reporting is the least of our concerns. We have flat out deception and, and dishonesty, trying to hide the truth, trying to misrepresent what's going on. So we got all this stuff going on. Zach Smith of the Heritage Foundation um, helps us to to see that. He said he's got friends that are attorneys that still don't uh, necessarily understand all that's going on with, with the Michael, uh, Michael Flynn case. Because again, it's um, some of it is, look, we know our government's out of control. At least we should, folks. We should know that our government is out of control. Our government is behaving badly. Our government tries to hide its tracks. Our government tries to, I don't know, just um, prevent us from knowing what it's doing. And so we have to gradually, piece by piece, demand to know what's going on, to demand that there be justice, demand that this returns to a government of, by, and for the people. None of these jokers are better than us. None of these jokers um, are our lords. None of these jokers are... You know, we talked about yesterday, some of these things, it's do as I say for these governors, not as I do. No one is above, um, above the law. No one is above, I don't care, political party. I don't care any of that stuff. I I don't care. They're not, um, I'm not in the business of blindly following these folks. Their job is uh, specific and defined. It doesn't extend into all aspects and areas of my life they shouldn't be able to target someone because of political preferences and have enough of an arsenal have enough of uh, a war chest so to speak be that money and resources be that you know potential things that they could charge someone with i drawn a blank on the particular uh, philosopher who said this eons ago but effectively, many laws, many lawbreakers, right? The more that we when, – when the government stops making laws that are part of, say, the moral fabric or the moral makeup that, that simply violate the conscience of a human being, like things like rape, murder, um, things like that. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be any other regulations, but when they're just seemingly uh, random – or, I don't know, just uh, not very, uh, just some sort of bureaucratic red tape. You know, like you can only serve something on a specific day of the week, or you can't do something in your business. Um, If you have X number of employees, if you have to do something differently than if you have 49 employees, you can do this, but when you get to 50, you have to suddenly do this. All these sorts of things, it's impossible for the average person to manage and stay on top of, whether it's in your personal life, your business life, both of these things. And so when you give these folks this arsenal, 
this arsenal, this this war chest, this list of things that you could be in violation of, suddenly, suddenly we start to think, well, who is above the law? When you look at the size of the of the uh, you know just just the the laws, the size. If you were to write all the laws out and uh, bureaucratic red tape and so forth. And that's effectively what we've gotten here to where now, if they want to go after someone, they do. And we see that. And it should terrify every American. I don't care Michael Flynn. That's interesting with Michael Flynn because he was a Democrat, ends up working for the Trump administration. As Andrew McCarthy said, the reason they targeted Flynn was because he was one that had enough experience in the world of uh, foreign relations and um, intelligence to to be able to really expose this Russian collusion nonsense. I mean, Michael Flynn's another Russian collusion. Uh, you know, you could say collateral damage, except for that he was targeted. It wasn't just that it happened to affect Michael Flynn because of their out of control, insatiable desire to nail Trump to the wall for this mythical silly collusion narrative, something that there was no evidence for. Remember, this is Adam Schiff that whole time was telling us if the average person knew all the evidence that was against President Donald Trump and this Russian collusion narrative that they would be appalled, astounded. They'd be ready to convict the president, remove him from office. Now, of course, we knew that this was a dog and pony show from the beginning, but again, a dishonest member of the government with the complicit help of the media, complicit media. This stuff, it took forever to come out that there's no, it came when, when um, Richard Grinnell demanded the release of, of documents, and now we realize there's no evidence. There's no direct evidence, no empirical evidence. It's all circumstantial, supposedly, and circumstantial the only reason they can say that is because circumstantial can virtually mean anything. There can be strong circumstantial evidence, and there can be silly, ridiculous so-called circumstantial evidence. And none of that even rises to the level of real circumstantial evidence to begin with. So that's what they're sticking with. So you got all this collateral damage, and I don't – look, he was targeted, so I don't mean it in the sense that it just happened to – you know, it just – happened to uh, happen to him. I mean, all these things were the result of their insatiable quest to go after President Trump for Russian collusion, stealing the election in 2016. They've invested everything again in this narrative. In fact, I made the comment, our newsletter goes out today, by the way. Last newsletter, I wrote a little bit about this. Um, and, you know, with they act as though Obama was a clean, had a clean administration. He had no scandals. And I'm sitting here thinking, what are you talking about? They don't have any scandals, only if you're in the media and the Democrat Party and you ignore the things that are scandals, things like Fast and Furious, things like spying on reporters, things like Benghazi. Need we forget that the Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton's malfeasance, using the secret private server to communicate was on the watch that was on that was in the obama administration 
Hillary's use of her private email server to avoid having to have her communications as part of the public record, then you begin to ask yourself, why? Why does she want to do that? We're told that there was, they were, it was a you know, scandal-free administration. Meanwhile, you look at it and think, it's a scandalous administration. Scandals all over the place. They just No one cared about him. No one cared about him at all because he had a great jump shot. He promised utopia. He furthered the ideology that they wanted to see furthered. Trump, on the other hand, you, this is what I find interesting. When you get down to it, what Trump has, the the, um, the scandals against Trump really come down to Russian collusion and Ukraine. I've seen a list of other scandals, but most of these things aren't scandals. They're either something that the administration was accused of, like promoting Melania's whatever it was, line of clothing or some such thing, which I'm not saying that they should do, but is that a scandal? It was a, a bad choice or something was, you know, someone ran with something they shouldn't have ran with, but, or Trump just is being Trump. I don't know, but it's not a scandal. It's not a intentional, deliberate attempt to, uh, you know, step way outside the bounds of the presidency and then, lie about it to try to cover your tracks. Benghazi, my goodness, this is a this is a perfect example of what a conspiracy looks like. Anyway, so we talked with Zach Smith and I we're gonna play this the next the next couple of uh segments here, our conversation with him. And he kind of walks through the history of this. He walks through the legal side of this. He kind of tells us where we are today, tells us some things that we should you know, be be concerned about this. This is our constitutional republic, folks. This can happen to Michael Flynn. Why can't it happen to? I mean, take your pick. Just thought of Dave Portnoy of Barstool Sports. If they don't like his coronavirus rant, what's to say they can't find a, re- a reason to go after him or the you know people that are opening their businesses? You know, defying these totalitarian orders that have been imposed upon them by their states and different states respond differently and we'll talk about that as well we get this new jersey um this new jersey um workout place well, I can't jim there we go <laughs> they he they we've got this reopening right and and they were told not to, in a sense, but they really didn't do any the, the enforcement. The, the law enforcement didn't really do anything about it yesterday, but they could have. I mean, heck, you've seen people again dump sand in the state of California in a state park. We've seen or a skate park. We've seen. We've seen uh, the SWAT team was called to I think a bar somewhere. That seems like over overkill to me to get a group of people who have decided to. They're no longer playing this game of isolation. They willingly chose to go somewhere. Yes, it was supposed to be locked down, but why on earth? Why on earth are businesses not allowed to survive? So I saw something last night that said one-third of businesses may not get through this or some some big number. It's crazy. You can't tell people that. Based on what? So we have all this overreach. And it extends into Michael Flynn, which we'll talk about. It extends into these coronavirus orders. It extends into just every aspect of our lives. 
And we're at risk of, you know, losing the freedoms and liberty we have when we allow our governments to do these things. So that being said, all that being said, I want to play this conversation with Zach Smith. He's a legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. It's going to be the next couple of segments, but I am um, going to have to shut up here and take a break. So that's what we're going to do this, uh, this first segment. Wrap it up, come back, and share this conversation with Zach Smith of the Heritage Foundation. I think you'll find it insightful and helpful, again, as we dive into the Michael Flynn case and talk more about that. So that being said, quick timeout is in order. You're listening to the Home of Conservative, Not Better Talk. Oh, and I will look here, try to get our camera reconnected so that those of you that watch this on Facebook can watch as well. So that being said, quick timeout. You're listening to Conservative, Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back. There we go. Facebook is up and running. Apologize for that. This camera would not would not attach, would not connect to my uh, to our video server or whatever you call this thing this morning. So there you have it. Now we are connected and streaming live on Facebook for those of you that want to see. Man, I got to shave. Look at that. My oh my. And I need a haircut. Haircut is in order. I saw the other day, I mean like a 300 and some minute wait for the place where I normally get a haircut. Ain't nobody got time for that. Anyway, so um, let's look here at, I'm loading this, uh, getting this interview queued up for you. But So we've got Zach Smith, legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Again, as I mentioned last segment, he's going to walk us through some of the stuff with Michael Flynn, which you already know is egregious. However, I'm not sure that it is – I think it's more egregious than even many people realize. And so we're going to talk – we're going to let Zach Smith explain that here from Heritage. I hope you enjoy – I had a great time talking talking with Zach. So – Hope you enjoy this. Hope it shed some light on some, even some technical components of what's going on with Michael Flynn here, which again I think is even worse uh, than we than we possibly realize. If that even is is conceivable. So that being said, here's my conversation with Zach. Uh, Michael Flynn, the latest developments in the Michael Flynn case, if you will. And so I thought what better thing to do than to bring an expert on from the Heritage Foundation. And we have Zach Smith, who's a legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, to kind of help us walk through and understand what's going on with the Michael Flynn case. So, Zach, thank you for joining the program. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on, Todd. I really appreciate it. Well, it's always a pleasure to have someone on from Heritage. You guys do great work. And always add to the the depth and the information and help us weed through this stuff. So let's talk about let's talk about Michael Flynn. Let's let's back up. Let's go back sure. to the early days and maybe help us set the stage because we're hearing things about unmasking, you know, Michael Flynn was identified as some sort of a danger risk. I, I with Obama's administration, Obama warned supposedly Trump about having Flynn being involved. Can you kind of paint the picture as to what happened during this transition period and help us kind of piece this together a little bit? 
sure, absolutely. And, you know, um, the unfortunate thing about Michael Flynn's case, it's been a very odd and unusual case from the very beginning to where it stands today. And so going back to the, the beginning, and we've only learned a lot of this information over the past couple weeks, what we know is that the FBI uh, initiated an investigation into potential Russian collusion and interference in the 2016 election. And as part of that investigation, they opened a file on Michael Flynn. Now, they looked into Michael Flynn's contacts uh, in terms of the Russian investigation to see if he had any relevant or pertinent information to that. Several weeks before the FBI ever went and talked to Michael Flynn in January of 2017, they had already decided that he did not have any relevant information to that Russia collusion investigation, and the FBI was prepared to close out their file on General Flynn. Well, when the FBI sent up their closing memo for approval, we know that FBI leadership, presumably Jim Comey and Andrew McCabe, intervened and kept the file open. And they ordered the FBI to go talk to Michael Flynn. Now, what we know is when they went and talked to Michael Flynn, they didn't follow the standard procedure of uh, going through the White House counsel's office. They didn't advise Michael Flynn that he was being interviewed as a potential target of an investigation. And they generally just flouted uh, and flaunted their normal protocols and procedures. And so it was during that that interview in 2017 that uh, Michael Flynn allegedly lied to the FBI and formed the basis of his uh, the charge that he ultimately pled guilty to of lying to FBI agents. Okay, so let's back up just a tad bit here. So you're telling me the the regular protocol of of the investigation into Flynn, which again did this did this all stem from the the Russian dossier or right. What made them want to talk to Flynn in the first place, I guess? Right. So as part of the, the larger Crossfire Hurricane investigation, which was the investigation into potential Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. And, you know, Michael Flynn was involved in President Trump's campaign and the presidential transition. And one phone call in particular caught the FBI's attention. He had had a conversation with Russian ambassador Sergei Kislyak, um, where he essentially they talked about uh, potential sanctions on the Russian economy and kind of what the impact of that would be. And the FBI wanted to, to talk to Michael Flynn, presumably about that conversation. But in doing that, uh, they did not go through the White House counsel's office like they normally would. And in fact, they didn't give Michael Flynn many of the same warnings and information that they would give to to a normal target of any criminal investigation. So he, if I'm, again, you're, you're, I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm remembering things that I've heard and read. Was he? Sure. Was he not even told at first he was the the target of an investigation? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, the FBI they they called, they went over, uh, they talked to him. Uh, he wasn't told he was the target of an investigation. And, you know, he, he pled guilty to lying to FBI agents, uh, an 18 U.S.C. 1001 violation. Typically, before someone is charged with a violation of that crime, you know, the agents conducting the interview will give what's essentially called a perjury warning. You know, this isn't a perjury charge, but it's very similar 
And they essentially warn the person, you know, look, we're federal agents. We're conducting an investigation. If you lie to us, you could be criminally prosecuted for, for that crime. And my understanding is either that warning was not given or it was given in a very abbreviated and unusual way. Uh, again, not what you would typically see in a, in a standard criminal investigation. So something else you said earlier, and that, that's trouble. That's problematic, obviously. Very, very troubling to hear Absol- these things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. And it looks like, well, I was just going to say, you know, and the problem with that is, is when Bill Barr was talking about why he decided to, to move to dismiss the, the charges, I think there are two points worth hitting on. The first one is, you know, it essentially looks like the FBI agents were setting a perjury trap. For General Flynn, especially when they don't follow the standard protocols and give the standard warnings. The second thing I think that's important to emphasize is that in order to be convicted of the crime uh, that General Flynn pled guilty to, a 1001 violation, lying to FBI agents, uh, any lie he told had to be material to an ongoing FBI investigation. And that's where the problems really arise based on what we know now. Because the FBI had weeks earlier decided to close out their file, decided that General Flynn didn't have any relevant information to that investigation, you know, it becomes very difficult to, to see how anything he told them would be material to their ongoing Russia investigation. And that's essentially what Bill Barr said last week and, and stated as the basis of why he's dismissing the charges against General Flynn. He didn't think the Department of Justice could prove that materiality element of the crime. Okay, so they they talk with Flynn. The FBI does early on. They go through their process and they say, "Hey, this guy, um, there's really nothing here. We don't need to to talk to him again. Pursue him." It goes up the channel, and you say, "I don't, I don't." You mentioned Comey's name, maybe McCabe's name. They then say, "Right, no, we want to continue." To do this, is there any indication as to why are there records of this? Are we still trying to piece that together? Are we supposed to just uh, to, to guess here? What what's what was the rationale? Well, one of the things, you know, the unfortunate one of the unfortunate side effects of this investigation is we're getting a lot of the information piecemeal. It's coming out uh, slowly, you know, drip by drip. And in large part, the reason we're getting a lot of this information now is because Bill Barr appointed an independent U.S. attorney to review this prosecution and to see if there was any other relevant information that that should have been disclosed to General Flynn and the defense attorneys that was not. And so we're getting a lot of this information now because of that investigation. Uh, But in terms of why they wanted to go talk to General Flynn, you know, we're certainly free to speculate on that point. One of the justifications that was given after the fact was for a potential violation of the Logan Act. Now, the Logan Act is a nearly 200-year-old law uh, that prohibits private U.S. citizens from basically conducting, contacting or conducting business uh, on behalf of the United States without the authorization of the United States government. And so a few points about the Logan Act. It's 200 years old. Nobody's ever been successfully prosecuted under it. The last person to even be prosecuted under it happened in 1852. And many people today say it's probably unconstitutional on First Amendment grounds. 
And so the idea that the FBI would be investigating the incoming national security advisor for a Logan Act violation is uh, troubling and absurd on its face. Yeah, it's preposterous. And well, meanwhile, we can uh, compare and contrast that to John Kerry over there meeting with the Ayatollahs in Iran after (laughs) after the administration, the previous administration leaves office. Um, Right. And it seems to me. Yeah. Well, and not to mention, you know, if Michael Flynn was going to be investigated and prosecuted for a violation of the Logan Act, there's a whole host of people that could be investigated and prosecuted for it. You know, even Dennis Rodman, uh, who, yeah, you know, right. undertook his trips to, to Pyongyang <laughs> to, to interact with Kim Jong-un. You know, that could potentially be a violation of the Logan Act. And so the idea that, that what Dennis Rodman did isn't a violation of the Logan Act, but what Michael Flynn did is a violation, you know, Come on, that's yeah, that's a uh, that's a tough sell. Well, and it's beginning to look. I mean, look, I, I, as a you know a conservative uh, political commentator like I am, I mean, I, I see the 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 blatant hypocrisy here, and and of course, someone in your shoes should pursue this methodically and so forth. But it just seems to me that there's enough, I don't know, tools or weapons at the disposal of our federal government to. To go after someone egregiously in this case, in the case of Michael Flynn um, and and others, there's enough of, of a war chest, so to speak, to go after folks that they want to target. Um, and meanwhile, as you point out, ignore people who have done at least the same thing and maybe much worse in the case of Rodman or whatever. So, do you or do you see that? Is that is that becoming apparent even as you? try to maintain objectivity through through researching and, and looking into this? Well, I think one of the most troubling things to, to come out of the Flynn prosecution is just the way the FBI and the Department of Justice blatantly ignored their standard procedures. And, you know, as I think I may have mentioned, those procedures are in place to protect the integrity of the investigation and also to protect the, the rights of the individuals who are involved in that investigation. And to see the, the FBI disregard those in such a brazen manner is very troubling and something that I think Bill Barr is taking steps to correct and that hopefully, uh, again, once we know the, the full facts and information, that, that we can put in place additional measures uh, to, hope, to help ensure that those types of violations don't occur again in the future. Absolutely. Well, Zach, if you can sit tight, I want to continue this discussion, but I want to take a quick time out here. Is that okay? Absolutely. Fantastic. So sit tight. We'll continue with Zach Smith, legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation after this quick time out. Hope you are enjoying the interview that we have with Zach Smith of the Heritage Foundation. Again, what's happened here with Michael Flynn is truly reprehensible, inexcusable, out of control. More people need to know about this, and Zach will continue to talk about this. Again, when we do interviews, I was telling Oz behind behind the microphone here during the break, I get a little bit too long-winded. I don't... uh, Look, I get engrossed in what's happening, what's being discussed. And so this this conversation has taken, um, 
I got to squeeze a short segment in here, and you're going to have to forgive me. I'm sorry for the shortness of the segment, but in order to squeeze the rest of this interview, I have to do this. So forgive me, but when we get back, I'll play the rest of our conversation with Zach um, of the Heritage Foundation and Zach Smith with the Heritage Foundation, and we will continue this discussion into Michael Flynn. Sit tight. Sorry for the short segment here. Just got to keep us on track. You're listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. sure we squeeze this in. Here's the rest of my conversation with Zach Smith of the Heritage Foundation. Zach Smith, legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. We've been talking about Michael Flynn, this case uh, that's been brought against Michael Flynn. And of course, um, what's transpired here in the past couple of weeks uh, pertaining to William Barr dropping the, the charges of Michael Flynn. So I guess maybe we've talked a little bit about the history, how we got to where we are with Flynn Maybe explain what's happened recently. We had Barr drop the charges, but then the judges stepped in and, and done some little bit unusual things. Maybe paint that picture for us a little bit. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, the Department of Justice uh, brought the charges against Michael Flynn, and prosecuting someone is a, a purely executive branch function. And so typically, if the prosecutors in a case decide to drop the charges, it's something they can do. In this case, because General Flynn had already pled guilty, the prosecutors have to, they move to dismiss the charges, and then they have to get the sign-off of the judge, the approval of the judge to do so. And that's really just a function of kind of where we are in in the, the proceedings in this case. Now, typically, the judge signing off on the department's motion to dismiss charges is typically kind of a pro forma requirement, you know. And it's primarily put in place to to protect against potentially abusive or unscrupulous prosecutors. You know, you wouldn't want a prosecutor to repeatedly dismiss charges against somebody and then just keep bringing them in Mm -hmm. in order to harass somebody or to give them more time to, you know, maybe solidify their case when they otherwise couldn't. And so it's really designed to protect defendants from abusive prosecutions. And so the fact that the judge in this case is has ordered uh, an extensive hearing on the motion, uh, has appointed a retired federal judge to argue against the Department of Justice's motion, and to even explore potential uh, criminal contempt charges against General Flynn is really unprecedented in, in a lot of ways. So, so exploring the contempt charges. So, did the did the judge just make that part up, or were those charges that had been brought by the Department of Justice in the past? How did that even get, you know, something uh, to? No. to mm-hmm. Sure. So judges have inherent authority to control their courtroom. And whenever somebody uh, does something that causes an affront to the court, you know, if they're in open court and they threaten the judge, they threaten somebody in court, they refuse to follow an order of the court, or if they lie to the court, they commit perjury in open court, uh, that can typically be handled in a contempt proceeding. Basically, they've, they've caused you know, some affront to the court and mm-hmm. frustrated, you know, the ability of the court to, to find justice mm-hmm. in a case. 
And so basically what it looks like the judge in Michael Flynn's case is saying here is that General Flynn potentially committed contempt of court uh, by committing perjury in open court, which would, and you know, I'm kind of speculating here, uh, but would presumably be because uh, General Flynn pled guilty to charges that he not, he's now saying he didn't commit. And so the idea that anytime somebody withdraws a guilty plea, that they could be charged with contempt of court for committing perjury, the implications mm-hmm. of that are staggering. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of times in prosecutions, new information comes to light, new facts come out, and defendants move to withdraw their guilty pleas. And so the idea that somebody could be charged with contempt for that, it's unheard of. So what would Flynn have – so he, he pled guilty, which of course is now um, I guess kind of – I guess you could say just fuel for the argument that he's admitted to doing wrong. Why would we let this guy out of jail? He's he's admitted that he's he's you know lied. Well – Mm-hmm. And I think my, my response to that, Todd, mm-hmm. would be, you know, prosecutors and the Department of Justice, you know, the goal of the Department of Justice is to seek justice. And so the DOJ has to make sure, even in cases where there's a guilty plea, that there's a factual basis to support the charges. And so what Bill Barr is saying and what the department is saying is based on what we know now, even though General Flynn pled guilty, there's not a factual basis to support the charges because regardless of what he said, uh, whatever he said couldn't be material to an ongoing DOJ investigation. And that materiality element is a required element of the crime. And so if there's no factual basis uh, to prove that element, whatever General Flynn did or pled guilty to, factually, uh, in DOJ's view, he can't be guilty of the crime. And so because of that, They've moved to dismiss the charges. Mm-hmm. But what what was he facing? Had he not pled guilty, what were, um, what could have been his potential sentence or the the consequences? Had he gone through and actually you know pled not guilty, went through the proceedings and was found guilty, what was he? How much more harsh or severe would his consequences have been? I guess. Well, and I think it's important to provide a little bit of background on kind of the the plea process. You know, one of the things is General Flynn pled guilty to this lying to FBI agents charge. Kind of underlying that is the idea that the Department of Justice, uh, Bob Mueller's team, would have charged him with a whole host of other crimes, presumably. You know, we've heard, uh, you know, they may have potentially charged him with violating foreign registration requirements uh, because he did work for foreign governments. You know, we've heard they threatened to charge his son with crimes unless he uh, pled guilty. And so potentially, uh, if other charges were brought, you know, he could be facing a, a much, much more serious situation for himself and potentially his family members. And so by pleading guilty to, to this crime, you know, presumably he was facing a much lower uh, overall sentence for just pleading guilty to this one crime, lying to the FBI. Yeah, and, and that's I think that's how the common person thinks about it, and I don't know the legal, legal ramifications of this, but it's almost like a negotiation in a sense where I can say I'll plead guilty to this, you know, eliminate the risk of all those other ancillary things, potentially my, you know, my children going to jail or whatever, um, or being prosecuted or whatever the case may be. I think the average person understands that he, 
he's dealing with the if what we know about the situation uh, so far, what we think we know is that the government's been acting out of control. The government has done everything in its power to target and to, uh, I guess, reach with Michael Flynn. Then he had to feel vulnerable. He had to feel like if I fight this, they're going to continue to bring everything at me, um, whether the normal course of events or not. I mean, this is they, they've proven that they're coming at me with everything they've got. So it seems reasonable to someone like me that he pled guilty um, and <laughs> without necessarily admitting that he really did it. It was like a like that was his best option. Is that a wrong way of looking at this? Well, and the unfortunate fact is, you know, people plead guilty to to charges all the time that they they might not necessarily believe they were guilty to for those very reasons. But that goes back to why it's so important for prosecutors in a case to be sure that they themselves believe there's a factual basis to support the charges. Because if prosecutors don't believe there's a factual basis to support the charges, Regardless of whether or not the defendant is willing to plead guilty to them, a prosecutor should never move forward with that deal uh, because it's their ethical duty to ensure uh, you know, that any charges they bring can be factually and legally supported. So what and should so, have – I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, so go what ahead. should have happened here? What, what's the – so once, once they got to the place where we are now – um, and the new information about, you know, Flynn has come out and so forth. And did Barr make the right decision in your estimation? Yeah, I think Bill Barr made the correct decision to move to dismiss the charges. The unfortunate thing that's happened here is that the judge mm-hmm. is holding up ruling on that dismissal and has kind of spun it into a whole nother proceeding by appointing the retired uh, federal judge. Uh, to, you know, argue against the motion, to review contempt charges. And it's really become a, a whole nother process in kind of this ongoing saga. Now, I will point out one other thing, you know, kind of another side story that's been lost in a lot of the, the shuffle regarding the Flynn case is, you know, his original lawyers on the case uh, potentially had uh, a conflict of interest because they initially advised him on uh, some of the the foreign reporting requirements that the DOJ was then subsequently uh, threatening to prosecute him for that, you know, saying he didn't register when he had followed his original lawyer's advice and not registering. And so, you know, it looks like all around uh, Michael Flynn's had a, had kind of an unfortunate interaction with our criminal justice system where FBI agents didn't follow their procedures and then, you know, he may not have necessarily been getting the best advice uh, from the original lawyers he had on the case. Hmm. So the judge should have signed off on this and, and accepted the Department of Justice's decision to drop this and, and not interject himself, correct? Yeah, the step that the judge in this case has taken is extremely unusual, extremely unusual. Hmm. Well, it's just, I mean, it, it's amazing to me. And, and this, I think, is, you know, the, the debate about this in the public square or whatever um, is, uh, it looks to me, <laughs> it looks to me like you had an out-of-control FBI, you had a ridiculous narrative with Russian collusion. I still defy someone to tell me that even if Trump said, yes, I called up Putin and we decided to 
steal the election. I want to know how those Facebook and Pokemon Go ads convinced people to vote for someone they didn't want to vote for. It's just it's the most nonsensical thing I've heard perpetrated for some time. So you've got a silly narrative. You've got an out-of-control DOJ. We've got an out-of-control media. And we've got a judge here that is apparently not, you know, he's kind of setting his own precedent, so to speak, with this. So it is, to me, this is an, an, a, a very clear example of the level of problems that we have within our government, within our system, uh, the very things that Trump came out and said, I want to fight and drain the deep swamp, for example. This this is the poster child for that, is it not? Well, one of the things I appreciate about the steps that Bill Barr has taken in this case you know, he appointed an independent U.S. attorney to review Michael Flynn's prosecution, and he appointed John Durham, the U.S. attorney in Connecticut, to review the larger uh, Russia collusion investigation, how that got started, what happened, and any potential fallout from it, what that may be. And so I appreciate Bill Barr doing that because what he's essentially done is he's given – everybody involved in, in these investigations and these debacles, really, in a lot of ways, the, the benefit of a full, fair, and thorough investigation, uh, which is unfortunately something that looks like folks like General Flynn uh, did not get the benefit of. Absolutely. I mean, it, it doesn't look like he got that at all from the very beginning. Zach, I appreciate you joining us. Thank you for shedding some light on the Michael Flynn situation. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you today, sir. Great. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure. That's Zach. All right. So, sorry, I cut that off there. We're down to the waning. This me uh, thanking Zach at the end, but down to the waning moments of the program. But Zach taught us a lot. Zach taught us a lot. Uh, and a lot of this we knew. I don't want to say that we didn't know. But a lot of this, just to have, I guess, um, put back together in a in kind of a coherent presentation – it's it's just helpful to hear, and we have to be vigilant against this, folks. I mean, no matter who's targeted, no matter what their political party, it appalls me that I even have to say these words, not to you, but just to uh, you know the culture and government at large. This is important stuff. We're fighting for, really, the equality of law, the application of law consistently regardless of who someone is who they associate with, what their political beliefs are, and so forth. But anyway, got to wrap up hour number one. Join us for hour two on YouTube, SDG. See you in a few.